it's, it's my goal to invite lots of different folks to come up and share through these next, um, these next six weeks uh, from different work environments and different places uh, because wrestling out faithfulness at the office and at uh, the place where you work is, is a difficult thing. And yet it's a profoundly important thing for us. And so I, I really want us to be thinking about that and engaging that as we go through this. Uh, Daniel is the man and his friends are the men that we want to examine uh, who are a scriptural example of what it means to work in a secular workplace while being faithful to God. And so if you've got your Bible, we're going to go through Daniel chapter 1 and, and work our way through all of uh, Daniel chapter 1. And then in the, uh, the following weeks, we're going to work our way through uh, Daniel chapter 6 uh, to there. But this morning, I want to look at Daniel chapter 1 because it's here that we see Daniel at the outset and we get a sense for how he's come to this place and what it is that it, that's going to challenge him for the next few, uh, for the rest of his life, but for the next few chapters and weeks for us. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord led King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, first in every branch of knowledge, wisdom and endowed with knowledge and insight, incompetent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names, Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Uh, here at the beginning of this text, we see that Daniel is selected. He's hand-chosen. He's picked among all of the young men of the kingdom for one reason. He, he was excellent. He excelled at everything he did. Uh, because Daniel excelled, he was selected. He was recruited because he excelled uh, in life. He was the right choice for the king. He had the right connections in his family and friends. He had the right age, young, with a bright future. He was strong and physically able. The text says he is good to look at. He was smart and intellectually capable. He was on the fast track to success, taken into the king's palace, fed from the king's table, and prescribed the king's curriculum for up-and-comers. Well, we can spiritualize this text all we want, but, but truth be told, the reason King Nebuchadnezzar picks him is because he sees in him excellence. He, he got to where he was because he had worked hard, but as we get into the text and get a little bit later, we see that God has allowed Daniel to find favor. And so I think we can say that Daniel excels because God is on his side. God has given him the ability to work, and he has given him the work to do. Uh, but before we get any further, I want us to establish that at the outset of this, that work is a gift from God. 
I know that often when we put the timeline of the beginning and then the fall and then work, that's normally how it goes. We go beginning is paradise and then the fall, which is sin, and now we've got to work. That's sort of how we think of it. The work is a result of sin. And if we hadn't sinned, we wouldn't have to work. But that's not at all what the text in Genesis says. The text says that that God creates Adam. Why? So that way he would be over the garden. God created Adam to work. God made Adam to work. Now, after the fall, work gets hard. Work becomes a lot more difficult after the fall. But let's not lose sight of the fact that work in and of itself is a gift. Not only is it a gift, but our capacity for work, whatever it is, is a gift. Our intelligence, our strength, our talents, our skill set, our experience, these are the kinds of things that God reminds His people in the book of Deuteronomy that He has given to them for their benefit and His glory. Now, I know that as we start to think about what does it mean to be a Christian in the workplace... I know that for a lot of folks, being a Christian, whatever it is that you do, and a non-Christian, whatever it is that you do, maybe doesn't look a whole lot different. I mean, let's just think for a second. You're not going to get outside of Nashville's airport and look at the planes coming down and go, man, that was a Christian pilot. You can tell, by the way, you kept the nose up there. You didn't bring it down. To the only Christians do that kind of piloting. No, no, no. You, you could watch them uh, through the whole beginning uh, to the beginning to end, and you couldn't tell a pagan pilot from a Christian pilot just by watching their landing. That's not the answer. Uh, you know, I, I love, they, they asked Captain uh, Soli, Solenberger, the guy that lands the plane there in the Hudson River, they said, were you praying when you were landing the plane? And he said, no. No, he wasn't. He said, I I figured there were people in the back praying. He said, my job was to land the plane. Okay? And so that's what I was doing. I was landing the plane. Nobody else on that plane could land the plane. My job was to land the plane. So being a Christian pilot means land the plane safely. Okay? This this is what it means. And, and, And we should not forget that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, prayer should not be hindered by work. But neither should work be hindered by prayer. And I think there's a lot of truth to this. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood something about work. He goes on to say this. He says, in the work, in work, the Christian learns to allow himself to be limited by the task. And thus for him, the work becomes a remedy against the indolence and sloth of the flesh. In other words, he says, work is kind of like a form of fasting. It limits you. It forces you to focus. It forces you to use your energies and your skills and your thoughts and and all that you've got for a task, a productive task. He says, work is a great spiritual discipline. He says, "But, but breaking through to sort of this understanding, says, only happens where the Christian breaks through the it, that's the it of work, to the thou, capital T, which is God who bids him work and makes that work a means of, is a liberation from himself. What Bonhoeffer is saying here is, listen, you you can all do the work. The difference is who you're doing the work for. Are you doing the work for God? Are you doing the work for yourself? Are you just doing it because it's there? You see, this is what Steve was talking about. Steve was saying, you know, it may not be a whole lot different maybe to be a Christian assistant student life director and a non-Christian student life director. He says, except that the stakes are higher. I know who I'm working for. I know who I'm held accountable to. I know that if I waste my day and do nothing, I know that it's really not my boss that I've got to give an accounting of that for. It's God. 
You know, when we talk about stewardship, we're not just talking about, did you give 10% to the church? Did you give it all at the office? Did you give it all at work when you were supposed to be giving it your all? Did you work hard? Were you diligent? Or were you lazy? You know, these are the things that matter to God. Work is a gift from God. And it's this truth, I think, that should make Christians the most excellent and productive workers in any workplace. As we pursue the excellence of God, it should bring excellence into our workplace. And I know lots of you. I know so many of you. And I know that you are like, yeah, I like, I like work. As a matter of fact, I know a lot of you like to work hard. And you do work hard. And you're proud of that. You're proud of what you've done. And you're proud of what you're able to do. And you're pleased by the work that you do. And that's good. And so as we start thinking about what does it mean to be a Christian in the workplace, you're going, yeah, okay, great. To, to be a hard worker, I get that. I'm good with that. Daniel was. Daniel got that. Daniel was good with that. But, but Daniel was called to do more than just excel. And this is the second point here on your outline. For Daniel, his excellence wasn't enough, unfortunately, for his workplace. He was asked to conform to the world of his work. Now, perhaps... For you, this is a good thing. You go, yeah, I have to conform in my office, but it's a good thing. I like the people that I'm there. We encourage each other. It's a spiritual environment, and it's healthy, and it's good. And so conformity for you looks a lot like accountability and encouragement. For others of you, that's not the case. To, to conform in your workplace is to go against your faith. And unfortunately, there's a lot of workplaces where hard work isn't quite enough. You're expected to conform. This was Daniel's problem. Daniel came. He had the wisdom, the experience, the physical capability, the talent, the knowledge, and there's the X factor about him. He was handsome. He looks good. There's something good about him. But as soon as they bring Daniel in because of his excellence, they say, man, we picked you because you're bright, you're smart, you're strong, you're all of these things, but now we want you to change. We're going to change your name. We want to change your name from Daniel to Belteshazzar. We want you to stop eating the food that you like to eat. Uh, we want you to eat our food. We want you to, to trade your God for our God. This is the name change. Daniel means God is my judge. That's what it means. Belteshazzar, we're not entirely sure what it means, but it either means Bel, which is the God of the Babylonians. Bel is my God or Bel is my judge. We're not sure which one that is. But you see the difference there. We went from God to another God. Capital G God to lowercase g God of work. Daniel, we like you, but we need you to be a little bit more like us. We need you to conform He's to be renamed. He's to be made one of them. And I think that sometimes it's the way in the work world. If you want to get ahead in your office or your organization, your corporation, whatever it is, wherever it is you work, you know that hard work is going to get you pretty far. If you come in and you do the hard work, you're going to get to this level. But if you want to break through to the next level, there is some conformity that's required. If you're going to get to the next level, you've got to be buddy-buddy with the guy that's there. If you're going to get to the next level, you've got to spend some time with the boys. You're going to have to go out and do the things that they do. You're going to have to spend some time with them. If you don't, then you're not going to be one of them, and they're not going to promote you to this next level that you'd really like to get to. You see, for you, hard work isn't going to get you there entirely. There's a conformity that's required. 
Maybe in your place, it's not hard to, it's not enough to work hard to, to, to make the case, to, to, to do your best to get a sale, but there's a conformity that's required. Well, we don't like to call it lying, but we just, you know, there's things we don't like to say and there's things we do like to say, you know. If you do that, you get along with us just fine and, and you move ahead. It, hard work's not enough. There's some conformity that's required. Maybe in your place, it's the opposite. Man, you like where you work, but they tell you, man, you're working too hard. I've had people tell me this. They tell me I'm working too hard. I'm doing too much. And that if I'm going to get along with the other guys here, I better slow down because I'm making them all look bad. I've, I've heard that. For you, now you're being asked to conform. I, don't give us your excellence. Give us kind of excellent, but not quite there. You see, in all these things, it's not just excellence. It's a conformity issue. And for Daniel, this is the problem. I don't know where it is where you work. What is it that you are challenged to conform to in your workplace? Language, honesty, jokes, videos, quality of your work. I'm not quite sure. What is it in your environment that's saying, we want you to conform. We want you to be like us. We want you to change. But Daniel, he rises above this. It's interesting that even though he's named Belteshazzar, throughout the book, he, he re- re- holds on to that identity of Daniel. He doesn't change. And the reason he doesn't change and the reason he rises above conformity is because Daniel remains committed to excellence. Uh, let's look here at verse 8. It says, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now, God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king. He has appointed your food and drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your age, you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel asked the guard with whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables and water to, to drink and to eat. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill and wisdom in every aspect of literature and knowledge. Daniel also had all insight into all visions and dreams. You see, Daniel remains committed to excellence. He rises above conformity as he remains committed to excellence first in his faith. The first place he's committed to excellence is in his faith. And, and I want to take a time out here for a second. Because I know that some of you are going, okay, stop. This is great. In theory, this works real well. But the problem is this, that I live in the real world, and in the real world we have a bad economy. Maybe you've heard of this. And, and with a bad economy, it means that, that times are tight, money's tight, jobs are harder to come by. And, and if I were to, to remain committed to my faith in my work, then that would maybe mean that I would be out of a job, and then what's going to happen for my family? What's God going to do for me then? I... I I'm not going to tell you that any of that's not true, and I'm not going to tell you that any of it's easy. But I do want to maybe point out something you've overlooked, which is Daniel's situation. Daniel is living in a bad economy in the sense that the king of Babylon owns everything, and everybody else pretty much owns nothing. 
Uh, Daniel is living literally as a refugee in exile. We probably should just call him a slave because it doesn't sound like he's got any choice in the matter of where he's at. Daniel's boss is the supreme, all-powerful ruler of the world. Now, your boss might think that he or she is the supreme, all-powerful boss of the world, but that's not true. We'll see that the, the threat here is that this man would lose his head. When was the last time somebody in your office literally lost their head? Well, read on. This isn't the only trick in the king's sleeve. He's got a lion's den. If you're bad, you go to the lion's den. How many of you at your office, if you're bad, you got to go to the lion's den? I've been in a lot of the places you work. I've yet to see a lion's den. I've yet to see a sword that's got blood on it. Ah, uh, well, you know, Bill, he went to the lion and so he's gone. He's gone. No. You see, the stakes for Daniel are just as high and higher. What's going to happen to Daniel if he lives out his faith and he upsets the king? He's going to die or worse. And I'm, I mean that. That's his option. And yet Daniel says, you know what? I refuse to conform. I am going to remain committed to excellence in my faith. But not just that. He believed that excellence to God would bring excellence to his employer. And he was willing to test it. Daniel operated with this premise. He said, listen, if I live in excellence in my faith, you are going to benefit. And I'll tell you, throughout history, I, I believe you can prove this, there has never been a religion that has made better citizens of any nation than Christianity. And yet there's never been a religion that's been more persecuted by pretty much every society than Christianity. Christianity should produce excellent citizens and excellent workers, and it does. And Daniel knew that. And he said, you know what? If I live in excellence in my faith, you will benefit from it. And he, he asked his employer, he says, why don't, you, why don't we test it? Why don't we just see? Look, we've done it your way for a while. Why don't we try it my way for a while? Ten days. That's all I'm asking. Give it a try. That's two work weeks if you think about it. Listen, here's what we're going to do, palace master. Uh, I have a problem eating this food. It defiles me religiously. He says, but I'm not asking you to make accommodations for me. I'm not wanting you to give me, you know, more things because I've got faith and you don't have faith. I'm not going to whine about that. He says, what I want to know is let's just look at this and what you're concerned about. Does this produce excellence? Does this produce brighter people, better people, stronger people? Does this get to the bottom dollar? Let's try it for 10 days and see. If it doesn't, we'll do it your way. If it does, we do it mine. Let's just try it. That's what Daniel does. Daniel says, you know what? Let's just give it a shot. And it was his excellence that won his employer over. You know, a lot of people say, you know, I'd love to work in a Christian environment. I'd love for my boss to be a Christian. Well, what are you doing to affect that? How does your work give a testimony to God? If you've always got to be watched, what does that say about Christians? If you've always got to be motivated, what does that say about Christians? If you're known for your language, what does that say about the God that you follow? If you're known for your jokes, what does that say about the God that you worship? You want to be a Christian, have a Christian environment in your workplace, then bring Christ with you. Take Christ with you and let your excellence win your employer over. Let your boss at the end of the day say, you know what? I've not seen anybody work so hard or so well or so diligently or so respectfully with other people than you. I don't know what it is, but whatever it is you're doing is working. You just leave it at that. Let your excellence win your employer over. Uh, and that's what happens. Verse 18. 
At the end of the time, the king had set for them to be brought in. The palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. So what does this mean tomorrow? Sounds really good today, doesn't it? But what, what happens tomorrow? The alarm clock's going to go off. You're going to get in the office. What, what's this going to do tomorrow? I, I want to ask that question. Uh, so on Monday morning, being like Daniel, what does it look like? Well, I want to tell you something. Here's how I operate when it comes to preaching. I preach God's Word, and, and there's no final authority other than what is in Scripture. Some people like to start with something else, and they go, oh, that sounds good. Let's go back to Scripture and see if there's something in Scripture that agrees with this, and then we sort of shoehorn things in there. That, that's not how that works. I, I went through this text. I looked at, at what Daniel had done and how he lived, and then I said, I wonder if this works in the work world. And so I said, well, I don't I didn't know how to test that, so I just started looking. I figured New York Times had a good business section. They do a lot of business out there in New York. Um, whoa. But not like Bowling Green. Um, somebody was mad. Uh, and so I just came across this article in the New York Times written by a guy named Daniel Bryant. Sorry, Adam Bryant. He wrote this article called Distilling the Wisdom of CEOs. He spent a lot of time interviewing CEOs whom the world would determine as or deem as successful individuals. And as I read through his list of five qualities, I will tell you, I was, I was stunned at how I thought each one of these actually described Daniel to a T. I want to just, we don't have a lot of time. We're going to go through this part quick. Uh, but the first was this, is being curious about success. Being curious about success. What is it that made successful people really successful? They were curious about success. Brian writes this. He says, CEOs are not necessarily the smartest people in the room. Some of you maybe could testify to that. But they are the best students. The letters could just as easily stand for chief education officer. You learn from everybody, said Alan R. Mullally, the chief executive of Ford Motor Company. I've always just wanted to learn everything, to understand anybody that I was around, why they thought what they did, why they did what they did, what worked for them and what didn't. If you look at Daniel's life, you'll see that's very true. Daniel says, hey, listen, let's just give it a try. I'm curious to know. Does what God say, does it really work in the work world? If I follow God's thing, does that make me brighter, smarter, faster, stronger, more intelligent, more handsome, more easily picked? Let's just give it a try. If it works, and it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Let's give it a shot. Daniel was curious. Second was this. Uh, confident in your core about faith and values. Uh, Daniel knew who he was. Uh, Bryant continues, he says, The chief executive stories bring to life a concept known as locus of control. In general, it refers to people's outlooks and beliefs about what leads to success and failure in their lives. Daniel knew who he was. He knew who was in control in his life. He knew what he believed and what he should do. My question to you is, are, are you the same? Do you know what it is that you believe? Do you know who you are? You go, well, that's kind of a vague question. Well, let's ask this question. Are you the same person right now as you're going to be tomorrow morning at the same time? So Monday morning, 1030, are you going to be the same person that you are right now? If not, why not? When you get home, are you going to be a different person? Are you going to be tomorrow morning at 1030 as you are right now? If so, why? The next question is, which one's a real person? Is it the person that's here? Is it the person that's at work? Is it the person that's at home? Which person's a real person? Do you even know? Do you even know? You see, I get the sense that Daniel knew who he was. When Daniel was in synagogue on Saturday, he's the same person he was going to be on Monday. He's the same person he's going to be on Tuesday. Daniel knew who he was. 
Daniel wasn't confused. When people came to rename him and said, you're one of us, he said, no, I'm not. But I'd like to work with you. I'd like to do your job and I'd like to do it even better. But I'm not one of you. Daniel knew who he was. If your co-workers came to this church and found you here by accident, would they be surprised? If they would, why? Let me tell you, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone, and that's all the time. You are constantly being made new every minute of every day. It's time we took our Sunday people and took them into Monday. Third, successful people were committed to collaborating with everyone, uh, with others for everyone's success. Mark Pincus, the CEO of Zynga Game Network, who's made a lot of money off of a lot of nonsense, um, has said this. He said he can tell good hires by watching them uh, play games. Uh, he says there are people who have this kind of intelligence and they make these great plays. It's not that you're star players, but they will get you the ball and then be where you'd expect to put it back to them. It's like their heads are really in the game. What Pincus is saying is this. There are other people that excel at making others excel. There are other people who excel because they make the people around them succeed. I see this in Daniel. Daniel says, hey, listen, let's give this a try. Very transparent. Daniel could have been like, you know what, guys, listen, let's go hoard vegetables at night and drink water and not tell anybody. And then when we're excellent and they're not excellent, we'll be like, that's because we're better than you and you are terrible. That's not how that works. Throughout the whole book, you'll see Daniel is incredibly transparent, consistent, full of integrity in everything he does. And if it helps somebody else succeed around him, then he's glad to do it. He's glad to do it. Finally here, keeping things simple. Uh, there's a stubborn disconnect. A lot of people cannot make things simple. Uh, a lot of people have trouble being concise, Bryant writes. Next time you're in a meeting, ask somebody to give you the 10-word summary of his or her idea. Some people can do a quick bit of mental jujitsu, and they'll summarize an idea uh, with a here's what's important or the bottom line is. Others will have trouble identifying the core point. A possible explanation is that a lag exists. There was a time when simply having information was the competitive advantage. Now in the Internet, most people have easy access to the same information. That puts a greater premium on the ability to synthesize, connect the dots in new ways, and ask simple, smart questions that lead to untapped opportunities. I'll tell you, I love Daniel just for his conciseness. Daniel, nowhere in here, was hemming and hawing. This chapter could have been a whole book long. So Daniel worked up the courage to go to the palace master and be like, hey, i got a moral problem with eating the food. And if I could get like a kosher, like tray, that'd be great. If not, that's okay too. I don't really mind. But, you know, it's like it's a God thing. You know, my mama raised me that way. And, and I hate to have to come home and be like, I'm a pagan now. So... You know, if we could maybe... It's not that it's that important to me, but my mom, it really matters to her. This could have been forever painful. It really could have been. But Daniel just says, hey, listen, let's just give this a try. I've got a problem with this. You don't. Let's see which way's better. That's it. That's it. And I'll tell you, we need to be more concise in our lives. We get in trouble when we start to nuance. You know what I'm saying? L let me give you an example. How, how often have you said this? I didn't technically lie. Not, not technically. I didn't technically lie. Or, or maybe you ask the question, well, what's your definition of steal? When, like, take something that belongs to somebody else and take it for myself? If that's your definition, then I suppose I did, but, you know, whatever. 
Christianity is incredibly simple and clear. Love God. Oh, we got that one. Love people. We got that one too. Okay, don't don't kill people. Yeah, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus says don't hate. Yeah, that gets a little more difficult. All right, don't steal. All right, don't covet. Yeah, we got a problem with that. Don't lie. Oh, okay. Uh, don't, don't. Uh, it's clear. It's clear. The problem happens when we start adding all these paragraphs and asterisks and nuancing everything. We go, if you take that tone of voice during the workday, you're in trouble. You're just in trouble. We've got to stop adding the qualifiers. Keep it simple. Finally, this really is the last thing I was off on my count. Last one. Fearlessly pursuing success, even if it means changing. Let me tell you, Daniel knew the path of least resistance was a safe path. Don't shake things up. Don't change. I'm the new kid. I'm, the, I'm brought in here. I know I'm new to the system, and I want you to change the whole thing. But I'm new to the system, and I do want you to change the whole thing. And, and I think we're going to change it because it's better. Daniel could have said, all right, yeah, we'll do whatever you've done. The king's the king because he eats this food. Maybe that's, maybe that's what I've been missing my whole life. Maybe that's why our king is now in exile and yours is not, because he eats better food than our king does. He could have gone there. He didn't. He pursued excellence even if it meant change. Church, we've, man, we've run out of time. We've run out of time. Um, this is what I want you to take with you today. This is it. God's principles produce excellence in our work. As we, produce, as we pursue the excellence of God, it will bring excellence in our work. And I want you to know that it's time we start living and working this way. That we bring the excellence of pursuing God here on Sunday morning. We take it to the office tomorrow on Monday morning, and we praise God that we've got a chance and an opportunity to be diligent, good stewards of our time, of our business's time, of our company's resources. And we say, you know, God, today I'm going to work for you as yesterday I went and worshipped you. That's what I want. I want us to produce, pursue excellence in everything we do, even at work. Pursuing God's excellence there is going to bring excellence. It just will. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are so thankful for today. We're thankful for this text of Daniel. We're thankful for his example. Lord, we know that we've not lived up to it, that we've fallen short, that we've not pursued excellence. Lord, we're, we're embarrassed, if we're honest with ourselves, about the way that other people have seen us. And we call ourselves a Christian at our worst moments. God, would you give us the strength and the grace to just begin again tomorrow? And say, today I'm going to pursue God's excellence. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that is brave enough to give it a try, really honestly give it a shot tomorrow, God, would you open up just an incredible storehouse of blessing in their work and in their family and in their spiritual life, that they would know that pursuing your excellence wherever they go brings excellence in their work and their family, all of these things. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Church, it's time uh, for communion, and we'll sing the song of decision. And we'll invite those of you to come forward that need to make a decision to do so. Otherwise, we'll invite you to just sing the song along with us, uh, preparing our hearts and minds for communion. Please be standing.